You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Let them go. Chapter 11 Preparations As she reached the ground floor, Rebecca saw Dawson hammering the seat of a newly shattered wooden armchair into the frame of the front windows. It by no means covered the whole pane of glass and hung in space over a square of blackness from outside, while the wrenched back curtain draped askew. The sound of his hammer was deafening. Find me more nails! He snapped without looking. Deciding against her immediate instinct to intervene and stop him, Rebecca took a candle and crossed to the cellar door. She paused with her fingertips upon the handle and strained her ears to detect any sound on the other side. The jarring blows of Dawson's handiwork clattered away in the background. Gritting her teeth, she opened the door and gazed into the darkness beneath. There was movement which stilled her heart but it was the echo of her own arm as the flame flickered, casting a shadowed outline at the foot of the stone steps. She made her way down cautiously, eyes wide. The glow threw grotesque, shifting shapes against the partially plastered walls as she searched around one-handed. The smell was wet and earthy, and the cold was repellent. There were far fewer usable tools than she remembered, Cleo had put a lot more down here over the years, everything broken and in need of repair. Lamentably, the encroaching damp had moulded the wood and rusted the metal, leaving little of use besides the tools they had retrieved earlier, which were now all upstairs. On the far left was a hatch Uncle Matthew had once opened for her, Amanda and a very nervous Timothy. It appeared to lead into an even deeper basement, the sides of which could not be made out in the lamplight. Matthew had told them he had never dared venture through. Of course, Amanda immediately wanted to be the first to cross this threshold, but Matthew had closed it up as Timothy began to cry. Rebecca regarded the hatch now and shuddered. Eventually, she found a small pot of spackled used nails, barely 15 in number, and some of diminutive size. Bringing these sorry findings upstairs, she placed them next to the cake stand on the dresser as Dawson turned over Cleo's mint green settee and began wrenching boards from its underside. Don't just stand there! Help! Mr. Dawson. Go and break up the kitchen table and then we'll start on the beds. Mr. Dawson. We simply have to fortify this place for half a day longer. With any luck, they'll have moved on by then. Mr. Dawson. What? This house has nine rooms. There are too many windows and not enough nails. But get them from the furniture. Reuse them. The unmistakable howl of those outside filtered through into their room. <gasps> Rebecca gasped so hard her candle went out and she swiftly relit the wick from the one that stood upon the dresser. Sir, do you know why wolves howl? It's not wolves out there. I do. She continued, ignoring his contradiction. 
Amanda read to me from the Encyclopaedia Britannica when we were children, discussing why Red Riding Hood wasn't feasible. It's to call to others in their pack, and sometimes to declare their territory. She locked eyes with him. I think you need to consider whether what you are doing is worth the noise you are making. What do you suggest? Sit here in the dark until they break through the windows? Actually, yes. At the very least, we will hear them coming. You have the shotgun. We have a selection of tools. It seems a surer method than expending all of our energy creating an infernal racket and distracting ourselves from the business of vigilance. He stood with his sleeves rolled up, his chest heaving, the hammer so tightly gripped that his knuckles were white. He had hastily applied fistfuls of tape to his dressing, and it was dragging down the skin under his left eye, giving him a frighteningly lopsided glare. We need rest and food, she said as calmly as she could. If you close the curtains up again, we can check and secure as many of the rooms as possible, and then attempt to recuperate as best we can. I won't sleep. I do not trust you or your sister. That's all right. I can sleep while you keep watch, or I can rest without sleeping. Either way, we should stay as quiet as we possibly can be, and keep our ears open. Now follow me. She walked to the dining room, listening at the door before opening it and beckoning. Slowly, unwillingly, and with a dangerous mistrust in his eyes, Dawson paced over to her, still grasping the hammer. The dining room was shrouded in darkness. There was no movement of the air, so the windows were all still intact. Here's what we can do, she whispered, and very deliberately went to the dresser, where she retrieved eight fine china teacups, which she placed, two at a time, under each window. An additional alarm for us. They might cut their feet stepping in. That is, if they haven't cut themselves already on the broken window glass. She tapped the pane with a fingernail. He would not look at the window. Rebecca took him next door to the scullery, where she tied the window shut with cord from the cellar and arranged china saucers underneath. Next to that was the kitchen, This time, Dawson took the job of tying the windows for himself, snatching the length of cord from her and slamming down glasses to form a sentry line. Upstairs, Rebecca kept them far from Amanda's doorway. The other three bedrooms which had been prepared for Dawson, Rebecca and Cleo were far above the garden, and unless the intruders were astonishing climbers, would surely be inaccessible. Rebecca gazed longingly at the bed which had been turned down for her, The cotton sheets looked so inviting, and she longed to surrender to sleep. Instead, she placed tin cans she had found in the cellar beneath each window. If knocked over, they would surely be heard from downstairs. Finally, back in the parlour, she placed the last of the cups and glasses under each window, using the remaining cord to bind the handles together. Another thing we can bloody well do if we're keeping a low profile is get rid of these lights! Dawson snarled, blowing out the oil lamps and reducing the parlour to a nest of shadows. (laughs) Rebecca did not argue with him at this point. If they were trying their best to be neither seen nor heard, 
the light would indeed have to be reduced to next to nothing. As she made them platters of cheese and ham in the kitchen, she searched for the best line of conversation to put him at ease. I once knew a man who walked through a sheet of glass. It tends to stay more still than you would think, and immediately assumes sharp, blade-like shapes which travel downwards with gravity, and glass is surprisingly heavy. It becomes a myriad of guillotines. The poor fellow didn't live long after that happened to him. Horrible business. She managed to make this all sound matter-of-fact, lending as much weight as she could to their defensive capabilities. Do you suppose that's why they're avoiding getting in through the windows? I don't know what they're thinking. Dawson grunted, moving back through to the parlour, restoring the upturned couch to its feet and grudgingly accepting the food she had prepared. What Rebecca thought, she dared not say. Dawson was the very last person in the world with whom she wanted to speculate upon the disposition of their attackers or the nature of their affliction. The more she learned the less she trusted his self-control. From the blurry, half-glimpsed fragments in her mind, the creatures appeared as though they had previously been people, but now operated in an entirely different manner. Cavendish may have escaped from Bodmin, but these were not crazed lunatics dashing themselves against the windows and doors in a frenzy. They were predatory animals, prowling at a cautious distance. They seemed cunning, and self-preserving. As though reading her thoughts, Dawson's eyes narrowed. I have friends who hunted in Africa, he muttered. If they are indeed acting like wolves or lions, then they will remain up there in the darkness, watching our movements. But they will not creep in here until they are hungry. He wolfed down a chunk of ham. Not to put too fine a point on it, but we have fed them twice tonight already. Rebecca flushed with anger at this callous, cold-hearted statement but pushed through her indignance to the sense of it, and nodded stiffly. Something had struck Rebecca when Cleo was killed, that she hadn't yet confronted. It made her feel sick just to consider it, but one of the two people that had fallen upon her aunt and begun to bite at her face and neck, she had recognised. It was Elsie, Cleo's housemaid. Rebecca circled this information carefully in her head, as though it were surrounded by bear traps. Could she be wrong? Was it simply a similar dress to Elsie's, torn horribly up one side and hanging in a loose, ragged fashion, with her legs exposed, tensed and curled in the moonlight, with bare feet digging into the grass around Cleo's struggling form? In all her years, she could never conceive of Elsie behaving like this. It was absurd, pairing up the individual with the action, the utter ruination of a person, at the teeth and fingernails of two others. The male, however, she had not recognised. He was filthy and in more of a state of undress than the housemaid, but it was his eyes she had caught a flash of, orange and piercing, the same as those of Cavendish. Had Elsie turned to look at her? Was she simply imagining this familiar, soft face, transfigured? If it was, the contagion manifesting. Was this what Amanda would become, up there in her dark, lonely room? Rebecca watched Dawson clear the plate 
smacking his lips and licking the fat from his fingers as though polite company never occurred to him. His attention was far away. She may as well no longer exist. Rebecca checked her pocket watch. It was 10.30. The sun had gone down this October night at five o'clock. This was when Amanda was bitten. She herself had then bitten Dawson shortly after Rafe was killed, which could not have been much later than eight. The passage of infection and the delirium and aggression it brought on was impossible to ignore anymore. And the last unsettling discourse with her sister was haunting Rebecca. A few short hours from now, what would be left of Dawson's sanity? He was correct on one count, however. The danger from outside was less prominent now that what was inside had begun to manifest. You have been listening to the New Century Multiverse, Let Them Go, Episode 11, Preparations. Written, narrated, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Rebecca Wolverton, performed by Sharon Shaw. Burwell Dawson, performed by Matt Ramsey. Giant Worm and Vanishing, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio. The production of New Century is funded by you guys on Patreon, and our special $15 sponsors get a name drop at each episode they support, so a huge thank you to Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Sarah Montgomery, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, David Garcia Abril, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chisholm. A massive thank you to Mad Hattier for your iTunes review. Each and every one of these improves our standing and will draw in new listeners where no amount of me telling people this is worth listening to will suffice. Endorsements of quality have to come from you guys. Rebecca was lying about the man she'd seen walk through a sheet of glass.